Deep in the heart of Appalachia, guys set on a quest to create the greatest podcast. Uh, sorry, dude. I thought we agreed on the correct pronunciation of Appalachia. No, dude. We, we've talked about this. We've talked about this over and over and over. It's, it's pronounced Appalachia. Listen, freaking angels and the women got together. That's how we got Bigfoot. That's how we got vampires. That's why we got all of this stuff. These ancient Appalachian mountains that are literally older than bones. There's old entities here. You start finding out more about them, they start finding out more about you. Good Lord, sir. (laughs) This goose has gone rabbit. You think you're just going to run up with your little sword on the king of the goose squad? Listen, the old entities of Middle Appalachia are unexplainable. Mm. They are eerie. Breach. And they are one of these things that will keep us, the hill folks, and the people who live in the area constantly searching for answers. Mm that they probably will never, ever find. And this is why we love Appalachian Intelligence. Welcome to the Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host. Sketchy Richie. And on today's edition of the Sword and Staff, we have a panel of sketchy hosts with us. Guys, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, Ward Heine of Dark Holler Studios now. Dark Holler Studios. We'll have well, to well. hear about that. Dark Holler Studios, huh? Uh, Justin Kaiser, host of AI, Appalachian Intelligence Podcast. Grateful to be here, fellas. Also the greatest radio voice uh, of the South. Right? I know it. Listen to that. So good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Bo Kennedy, the Bump Podcast. Very nice. Well, fellas, thank you all for joining us today. And on today's edition of the Sword and Staff, if I'm understanding correctly, uh, we're going to be getting into some discussion about uh, Shadow Appalachia. Um, As you guys know, um, that's a project that's been an ongoing project for quite a while now. And so uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit, uh, giving some updates on that. Bo's video just came on, and I <laughs> I can tell by the look on his face, he, he was not expecting that. <laughs> so you, my screen just showed like each person individually in rapid succession. Like it was his like eyes. a Gatling gun of <laughs> selfies. I don't know what that was. A Gatling gun of selfies. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to love technology. But uh, but anyway, on today's edition, we're going to be talking about Shadow Appalachia. And I think that everybody's going to be uh, kind of talking about uh, where we've been, uh, where things are going, and talking about some of the things in between, if I'm understanding right. You guys got anything you want to add to that before we get started? Well, before we get started today, let's take a moment and let's pray before we jump jump in. So. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this group of men. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, be with us, that you would guide this conversation. Uh, Lord, uh, 
guide the things that we're going to be talking about here today uh, with Shadow Appalachia and and just the personal stories and the testimonies that uh, will be attached to that. Lord, we pray that you would use them for your glory. And obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, our enemy and the kingdom of darkness. So, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, be with us, protect us all from spiritual warfare, glorify yourself. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, Richie, I'm going to pass the mic to you to let you kind of tell the story of Shadow Appalachia and where it's been, uh, where it's going, and that can probably get us into the majority of our conversation this evening. Well, you talk about talking about the enemy. I think I've got the high ground here in terms of a safe space when we're talking about the enemy. No doubt. <laughs> For those of you, you who know, don't but, know, he's he's at our church right now. <laughs> 115 year old church. Hopefully, nothing in the walls but the Holy Spirit, but we'll see. All right, there's some kind of a lag. Is it still going? No, you're still going. We were just waiting on you to talk about Shadow Appalachia. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's some kind of like lag or something. Oh, well, but yeah, uh, where do you want to start with it? Uh, well, you can just kind of tell the story about where, where it all kind of started and uh, some of the providential hinderings, I guess, along the way. and Providential kind of, hinderings. Yeah. And we actually, uh, Travis released a video, I think it was last year, called Providentially Hindered, and that's kind of been the story of Shadow Appalachia ever since. Right. That's, like. that's so, the truth. So I'll pass the mic off to you and let you uh, kind of spin on that for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's been, what, about a year since we filmed for Shadow Appalachia last, about this time yeah. last year? Yeah, I know yeah, we had plans. Time. Yeah, I know we had plans initially to release it fall of this year. But after that initial adventure, things started taking a turn for the weird. And for me, it was just a really rough season. I know that a lot of us have been through some spiritual warfare and some life changes and things. Josh had a new baby, uh, got a, a second job. I've My life has just been crazy all over the place. And I know the other guys have had things going on too, but yep, Shadow Appalachia started right in Logan County. And just as soon as we got into the high strangeness, things started to go off the rails. And here we are. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We I know that we put it out there that with the uh the serpent mound, right? Um, was there anything about that that you were wanting to kick around in this conversation? I don't know if you guys had anything that you were wanting to chime in with on that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we kind of started there, right. With, uh, rediscovering a lost serpent mound in Logan County. And since then progress has kind of come to a standstill. And like you talked about, um, everybody's kind of experienced, I've not really experienced much spiritual warfare since that time, but just significant life changes. Like you were saying, uh, took on a second job, <laughs> which, which, uh, uh, for those of you who know me, I, I did full-time ministry for five years and then had to go bivocational. And then on top of bivocational, uh, after five years, had to take a second job on top of that. And then, you know, we had our second daughter and, well, here we are. <laughs> and so it's definitely been uh, significant life changes uh, for me and my family. So it's definitely, uh, it's caused me to have to be very, uh, selective with my time. And obviously, you know, you don't have the free time that you once had because you've got two jobs and growing families and all the things that come with it. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely been difficult, 
Um, you guys have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah. So, I mean, from my perception of how this, how this has gone is it seems like it's been two or maybe three times now where um, this pattern sort of repeats itself where there'll be uh, kind of, uh, all of us will be experiencing something that sort of relates to the kind of the shared language that we've come to understand as part of this phenomenon that we've been dealing with since, I mean, I mean, for me, since dark holler and maybe it goes back earlier than that for some of you, I know, um, but we've got history with the same kind of thing that predate that and, uh, Richie too. So, but, um, I think there's been a, a few of these patterns where like, there's this, um, storm of synchronicities, like a lot of stuff kicks off and then, um, you know, we start to put plans together and um, concretize, if that's a word, to make concrete uh, plans. And um, and then it seems like as it gets closer, like pressure builds and it kind of breaks. And um, I don't know, you know, it for me, part of it's been, I've constantly being involved in these like um, capers or adventures or whatever. Um, I've constantly kind of, been praying to do it in um in god's timing and uh that you know that there would be obstacles if if we were trying to do something out of time or do the wrong thing or whatever and it seems like um that's happened a few times where it's been delayed like that and i don't know how much of it to read that way and how much of it to read as um you know the the enemy um dealing with us but uh well i think yeah. you could probably read it both ways i mean even if the enemy has some sort of plan ultimately god is going to use it for his purposes so yeah that's a good right that's a good point um do we want to talk about like sort of some of the individual things that we've experienced in the intervening period to kind of illustrate what i'm talking about or i can talk about things that yeah, and, and before we get into that, I, I want to say that I'm pretty sure that this is going to be the first time that all of us collectively have heard these stories. I know that Bo, um, it's like I feel like I'm on the Brady Bunch introduction pointing to the videos <laughs> down here. <laughs> um, I, I know that Bo has had a lot of stories over the past year of things that's happened in his life, and he's always like, at some point we need to get together and talk about this. Well, today's the day. So um, so for those of you who are listening to this and you're hearing these stories, for, for some of us who are attached to this project, uh, we're hearing them for the first time as well. So you may hear us make connections we've never made before and you know, gain some insight into this project that uh, perhaps uh, hasn't happened yet. So it should be really interesting to hear this. So, But Ward, I'll, I'll go ahead and pass it to you. Yeah. I don't know if it makes sense for me to go first, but I do have bullet points <laughs> prepared as we were talking about this. Um, the professor yeah, has bullet points. So, so um, I know that it, it hasn't been too many months ago uh, that I was spending a lot of time in um, contemplative reading uh, Lexia Divina and um specifically like really focused on is this kind of this world of paranormal and high strangeness stuff is this something that um you know i i can treat as a call a mission a thing that i'm meant to do and trying to um discern whether that was the case or whether it was just meant 
if I was just meant to, you know, tell that the one story that we did with our caller and this other stuff just happens to be things that are coincidentally um, opening up because of, because of that. And um, over about a three weeks or so of doing that and contemplating it and asking that question um, and also reflecting on that uh, with the aid of my elders of the um, people who've been placed as you know overseers of my soul and presbyterian so i take that that role seriously i i think that um god's put me where he's put me deliberately with the elders that i have for a reason and so i took that to them and these guys are um very conservative uh button down uh conservative pca types um and i had a couple of elders, including my pastor, who again, very conservative academic type guy, um, confirm that it's quite possible that this is uh, a call and a valuable thing to do um, to sort of uh, produce content and and build um, a Christian voice in the paranormal. And I couldn't think of... Uh, any perspective or uh, worldview with respect to that that I'd rather uh, participate in and amplify than than your guys's. I'm really excited about what uh, what Shadow Appalachian these these investigations are going to be. Um, so, anyway, about the time that I had that conversation with um, my pastor and another elder, um, I it was I think the evening. I had sort of uh, prayed about it and, um, you know, told God, you know, okay, I will proceed as if this is uh, what you want. And so uh, that night, uh, I had a particularly pointed uh, and vivid nightmare. And I don't remember, I don't have nightmares generally, and I don't remember dreams at all. Um, And when I woke, I very vividly remember this one and i still remember it in detail and uh i i don't want to um i don't i don't know if i can talk about it in detail but um it involved a lot of uh symbolism that relates to the uh and the lilith archetype um water and violence against children and the loss of uh, a child and that kind of thing and um it also had tied into some like other uh, experiences I had, stories that we had heard uh, in the UNA basin, that kind of thing. And so there was that the first night. And the next night, uh, each of my children and my wife had nightmares that shared the same symbolism without me telling them about it. And so um, reflecting on that, and I, I even bounced that experience off of uh, my pastor, and his his response was, um, "It sounds as if the enemy is angered, but your captain is pleased." And basically, Charlie Mike. So, um, you know, continue mission. So, uh, I think it wasn't too much after that um, that I was sitting out back, and we were talking. I was sitting out back of my house. And, um, you know, in kind of the, the space that I've come to think of is like the border between 
order and chaos uh, where symbolically the wood line meets my house. And, uh, you know, when I, when I think of the Fae or whatever, I always entertain them out there, you know, beyond the tree line, um, as Richie taught me. And, uh, anyway, uh, I was, so proud. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, uh, we were talking about something related to this and I looked over to my right and from like three yards away, maybe three feet off the ground, keeping very consistent, steady pace toward me, uh, was a red balloon and it was just floating across and, uh, it floated into my yard and it sort of, uh, it turned so I could see that across the balloon, uh, was written in white letters, TNT. And then the balloon <laughs> went sort of straight back into the woods and stuck on a tree. And I think I ran up and I took pictures of it. And I sent you guys um, of the TNT balloon. And I think Richie's immediate association was uh, we should probably go to Point Pleasant. Absolutely. So, like as you're yeah, telling that Pleasant, story, so, all I can yeah. hear is like Alan Greenfield, like in Hellier when he's going ding, 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 ding. There's your son. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the last the last kind of weird thing that happened to me, and then I'll I'll pass it off to uh, Bo. Do you want to go next? Maybe. Um, sure. I was out uh, hunting not too long ago in a, a new spot, uh, public land, like pretty far back. And um, I was, I had seen uh, a deer that had, I did, it, it's a long story. I don't know how the deer knew I was there, but it figured me and, and busted. And I was getting ready to get down from the tree and uh I heard something fly over my head that sounded like, um, if you guys remember the Nerf football with the whistle in it, right? Uh, it sounded sort of like that, but kind of deeper. And it went right over my head uh, real fast, like fast enough that I get my thought, because I guess I was there with a bow, was somebody shot at me with an arrow and I ducked, like I instinctively sort of ducked from the sound of it. And it was maybe two or three minutes later, I finally, I think I lowered my bow down. Um, and then uh, I heard like a thump of wings and I looked up and from the ground, like from the floor of the forest where I hadn't seen it, uh, an owl, a, a, <laughs> sounds ridiculous, but the biggest owl I've ever seen. I'm not saying it was too big to be real, but it was, a, a it seemed bigger than I would have expected an owl to be. Uh, flew up from the ground and landed on a tree maybe like three four yards from me and um, turned and looked at me and I was like frozen and uh, and then just slowly I mean it was five or six seconds looked at me and then turned its head and flew off and uh, it was the that's the only sort of in the wild experience I've ever had with an owl um, and yeah I mean of course you know given our history and all of that, the first thing that I thought of was, was this stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's been, um, kind of my series the standout experiences that I, that I remember relating to this, uh, project. Yeah. So, well, well, thank you for that. And the thing that's interesting about that is just kind of how objective, the dreams are. And whenever I say objective, obviously dreams are kind of a subjective thing, right? But whenever I say objective, I mean the fact that you had a dream, you didn't tell your wife or your children about it, and then they have a dream, 
each of them have dreams and it involves the same kind of imagery, right? That makes that yeah. experience a whole lot more objective. Uh, that's a really, really interesting thing. And for those who are following along and, and listen to this and they're thinking about, okay, well, well, what's the significance of an owl and, you know, a, 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 you know, an old Indian lady named Kokumthina, you're probably going to have to go back and watch Dark Holler um, episodes one through five, if you haven't hmm. already, because all of what Ward is saying here connects into that series. And so if you're not familiar with that, you're going to be lost. Uh, now we really look like the Brady Bunch since Cole Shannon just came in on our video here. <laughs> so, um but yeah, but Ward, thank you for that. And so, Bo, uh, if you would, you can. I, I'm really interested to hear all of the things that you have experienced and how it connects into this, because from just the hints you've dropped over the past year, uh, it it seems like that it's going to be really profound. So I'll go ahead and hand it over to you. Well, um, if I leave anything out that you remember in those in those hints, please let me know because life is busy. Uh, I like Ward have a few things written down, but um, it started that that very night. Um, if, if we're going from back to the mound, um, when we when we come home that that night, I got in, into the bed and showered and all that kind of good stuff, you know, like you do. Got in bed to go to sleep, and three times over the course of that first night, I had spiders. Um, crawling across my neck that woke me up like to the point where I, I would wake up and grab you know what's up feel something across my neck and I would grab and it would be like a, a an actual spider and for whatever reason I threw this thing across the room all three times um, as one does <laughs> yeah uh, I, I'm not afraid of spiders and my wife probably still doesn't know that this happened because she is like she has paralytic fear of spiders. So I, it's just one of those things like you kind of, if you're going to freak out, you got to do it quietly. Um, so you don't make a scene and get beat to death because you have spiders coming out of your neck. But uh, I, I found that incredibly weird. Nothing like that's ever happened before or since. Um, it was just that very first night. Uh, like Ward, I had a, I've had a few weird dreams. Um, one stood out and it came a few months later. Um, and I'll, I'll backtrack again, back to October here in a second, but I, before I forget the dream, um, I dreamt that I was going into the threshold of a door and it was a, uh, like a pale blue door and frame. I'm not sure what kind of structure it was connected to. It was just the door. And at the foot of this door, um, were two snakes one was black and one was orange and they were coiled together and they had um this almost like a um like a crisscross pattern weaving through them um almost like that double helix dna kind of kind of spiral you know of hair weaving through their scales and then when you get up to their heads, their heads, they had the eyes of a snake, but their their mouths and teeth were set kind of like a fox is what it put me on mind of. Like total chimeric kind of creatures. And um, 
I mean, I woke up from that dream. I, I haven't dreamt of snakes in years and years and years. Uh, it used to be a pretty recurring theme. Again, no fear of snakes whatsoever. Um, I, but for years, I, I did have these dreams of snakes. Not like those, but just, you know, that kind of feeling like you're running in quicksand and you can't get away and this snake's trying to strike you. Those kind of, you know, common weird dreams. Um, but this came out of nowhere. And it, I'm talking like seven or eight years later, but it was just since this incident. And it, you know, us being at a serpent mound, it kind of made that connection to me for that. Um, but let's go back to October. Well, was it was at the end of October, early November when this happened. Hang on just a second. Did you did you say the snakes had hair? Yeah. Yeah. The if, if there's anybody in this group that ha- is not a fan of snakes with hair, it is me. You all recall the dream of that snake in the tunnel yeah. that yeah. had the mane of hair. And yeah, that's that's the vision you, I've got there. You, you not might, a fan. You might want to hold hold that one. Not because, a fan. Not a fan. Yeah, because because you had a dream that was very similar to that. So you might want to hold that yeah. one. That one will be interesting. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, we'll go back. Did you, uh, Bo? Did you know about that? Did you know about Richie's dream with that? No, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah, it's wild. Okay, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested in that too. I, I heard him talking about, or read him talking about, snake in a tunnel. I had no other clue than that. You know, um, sometimes where we don't. Uh, our, our schedules don't overlap the way they should. I miss a lot of the comment threads, you know. I'll, I'll try to go back and read, but I miss a lot. Um, if it was on a past episode, then I apologize. I must have missed that episode. Um, no, we haven't talked about it there, I don't think. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I, I want to hear that. But going back to around that time frame, soon after that happened, within a week or so, um, as you know, as you guys know, uh, my daughter, she had been living with me since she was about 13. We got custody. Long story. Um, she went through a lot. We had her here um, trying just to help her get squared away. Um, bright student. But she, she's she been battling um, depression, anxiety, you know, those kind of things. Well, since then, um, almost immediately, after uh, things started taking a, a more severe turn with her and I've connected and I'm, I'm trying my best to, to be vague. Um, I'm, I connect things that happened since that incident to her because of things that she got into. Um, I, I found things I found that she had been trying to summon Lilith um, prior to us going to this uh, snake mount. Um, how so she would she? So how, let me ask you this, Bo, before you continue yeah. on. Do you do you have any idea how she would even be familiar with a character like Lilith? And for those again who don't know, you need to go watch Dark Holler. Uh, this is all yeah. connecting to this this work. But do you have any idea how she would even be familiar with something like that? Um, not other than internet, um, 
maybe I was going to say, does she have any sort of like structured practice? Was it something that she was actively involved in or did she just kind of pick it up and dabble? Well, uh, I'm not sure. There, there was a lot of things that came out that I wasn't aware of after the fact, because uh, this, this all came down to uh, some explosive arguments and um, she she wound up leaving. Uh, she was turning 18 within a matter of a couple of weeks. And uh, she had written a plan that I found um, that she had she had plans of running away. And I didn't want her to be homeless. Um, so she told me she wanted to move back to her mother's house, which if I went into details, you would think that's the last place she wanted to be. But that's what she wanted. So um, I, I called her mother and unbelievably quickly, she come up and got her. I believe they had already been in communication. Um, but I had found on text messages and uh, and uh, screenshots and her, her devices, her talking to friends about trying to summon Lilith. And that's how I even found out about it. So I don't know if, I don't think it was the friend's idea. I think it was my daughter's um, talking about wanting to kill God. Um, and this, this stuff was going on as I and my wife were getting closer to the Lord than we ever had. It was like we had rededicated our lives to church about a year before that. Um, and as we're getting closer and we're strengthening our walk, the resistance is coming through, you know, the chinks in your armor, you know what I mean? And my soft spot is always my daughter. And I felt like there was deliberate attacks. Uh, there, there are so many details that I'm, I'm going to spare her up. But um, when she, when she left, I'll just go to that part. When she left, and I come in here to this room, and uh, I was clearing her stuff out, you know, because she, she left everything behind. She just took off. Uh, I started finding things, notes, curses that she had written and hidden in, in certain places. Um, she had like drawn images, written a curse on it or some series of words on it, and then like wrap it around, um, silverware, you know, like, and, and then hide that in a certain spot. Um, she had written some things in Russian. She don't know Russian, um, but she had written things in Russian and then hid that in certain places. Um, demonic things, devilish things. Um, written a curse like if anybody finds this if anybody touches my stuff may blah 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 happen to them kind of curses tons of sigils everywhere Um, so apparently she was pretty well versed in a lot of things that I wasn't aware of Um, the the day before she left I found because you know she was starting to keep herself in trouble you know what I mean? So being grounded, she would lose her electronic devices, trying to keep a tab on these things. Um, like the day before she left or two days before she left, she had a whole tablet, man, that she had hidden in her room that she had been on this whole time. 
Um, she had secret accounts of things I didn't know about. Um, so whatever it was, had full access to her. And that's that's just the only way I can explain it. And she was a willing participant. She was uh, she had opened herself up to whatever this was and to the point where she was going by a different name or trying to go by a different name. Um, it was nothing to mock God openly. Things started to get a little physical even at the end. It was it was crazy. And uh, it just like exacerbated after that incident, you know, after, after we had our time there. But um, two days after she <laughs> two days after she moved out was my first time teaching at our little community church that I go to. And to put a positive into this whole situation, and that's when I began uh, teaching on spiritual warfare um, to a church. Thank God that I have a very open church. And so each month I've been doing lessons on spiritual warfare and the reality of it, what we're dealing with. Um, and not to your all surprise, but it was to mine initially. I would come outside of church, be talking with a couple of guys in the parking lot, and there'd be an owl would show up and it would just perch across the, the driveway and sit there in this tree and watch us. Or you would hear what sounded like a barrage of owls and monkeys up in the hills behind the church going nuts when we go outside. Um, or driving home, there'd be a, a not not an extra large owl or anything, but an owl standing in the middle of the road, just standing in the road. Well, you had to drive around it. Um, well, my wife drove, drove around it. I wanted her to run it over. but. <laughs> um, just weird things like that. Uh, but all it does is it, it drives my faith deeper. You know, it makes me want to fight harder. It wants me, I want to expose the darkness that much more. And uh, speaking of balloons, too, last week, I decided to move my hunting location. Um, my father-in-law has a ton of land here in Logan. And I was hunting on one side of it and got a little disheartened and decided to move to the opposite end of the property and go hunt over there. When I get to where I was going, there was this old gas well and laying <laughs> on on the hill to the gas well is this Mollar balloon. And I thought, of course, you know, of course it is. I didn't even bother to look at it to see if it had anything written on it or what shape it was in. I just saw that it was a purple Mylar balloon. So I, uh, you know, I, I just snatched it up and st stuck it out of the way and moved on. But it's constant, man. It, it It's a, there's a constant reminder. Um, uh, even in my school where I work at, there are, there's some kind of sigil. And I, I showed it to Richie and he's like, well, that's probably not much. You know, it's pretty weak if it's anything at all. But it was like uh, there's this there's this sigil that shows up in this door. And I found it in three locations so far. And it's directly under my classroom. It's like the, the door going outside. It's uh, on on two different levels of the stairwell. 
and these there are these arrows and they're pointing to my room so it, it's just kind of wild you know um but i'll i'll shut up and pass it off to somebody else um but yeah i've had some some pretty weird stuff going down can we uh yeah. Well, when it when it comes to witchcraft, I mean, no matter how you spin it or what culture you see it in, it's always tied to this matriarchal moon goddess. So it's this divine feminine, and throughout the cultures, it's it can be Nyx or Artemis or Athena. It seems like now, especially with TikTok and Instagram and pop culture, they've fixated on Lilith in a way that I've not seen in a long time. Like you look at shows like on Netflix, like The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, like Lilith is the first witch, the mother of witches, and she's the main character on there pretty much. Uh, Lilith is in, I mean, you you just open up TikTok and type in uh, witch talk and it's all about Lilith. It's all about Hecate and all about how to venerate these goddesses. So it's out there just everywhere. It's not something that's hidden anymore. So technology has made that sort of, information that you would find buried in a cult grimoire somewhere literally accessible by your smartphone so the fact that she found it and so much so readily like it doesn't surprise me now yeah the interesting thing uh bo about some of that first first before we dive in i just want to say that i'm so sorry that you experienced those things i can't imagine how difficult that how that that would be with a with a child um that's heartbreaking uh even to hear about you know how towards the end of it it you know it started to become physical and you know uh that would be very difficult and i'm sorry about that um but but there's some really interesting connection points here to with some of the stuff um you know obviously the the lila stuff which connects to dark holler and then the owls which is just a constant theme um since you know dark holler and I can't remember, um, and this might segue into Richie's story um, about some of the dream stuff we had. But a while back, we were exploring a tunnel, um, which is also in Richie's dream. And I, I can't remember if it was German or if it was Russian. It was German. It was German. It was German. It was German. Uh, okay. <laughs> there was some yep. German painted on the walls in there. said something about Night of the Devil Dogs or something like that. Um, I couldn't remember what it was, but... Um, but yeah, it kind of reminds me of well, uh, in some our ways German too. expert is here in the in the episode right now. If he wants to chime in and tell us what it said. <laughs> well, it's curious. Can you guys see me? I think no, we can. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, but we can he- we can hear you. Okay. Well, it's curious that Bo mentioned Russian also because I uh, or, um, I found out I had a Russian neighbor, and about a year ago I. I did learn some Russian. I didn't get very far, but it was kind of random of all the languages. You were getting ready for Red Dawn, wasn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, the German in the um, in the tunnel, I think it was um, I think it was uh, something like Night of the Devil Dogs. Uh, I've got a picture of it. I can't remember. Off the top of my I think head, it was but... Seize, Seize the Night of the Devil Dog. Yeah, I think that was what it was. Yeah, it was like butchered German too. It wasn't like it wasn't the way a fluent German speaker would say it or write it. See, the the Russian that I found it it translated to little devil, and hmm. the name that she wanted to start going by, she insisted on that it was her name. Now was um, 
I'm probably going to butcher how you pronounce it, but Vrolic or Vrolock or something like that. Um, I know if I pronounced it one way, she would get really mad. Um, so I think it was, I think it was supposed to be Vrolic. It was V-R-O-L-O-K. That's what she insisted on being called, which didn't happen in my house, but, um, that was part of the problem, I guess. Um, well, that's something that I've seen on, on TikTok too. You see, uh, Transgender people talking about their dead names and their dead identities. It the witch community has adopted that as well as sort of a like a, a like a baptism or something. It's shedding their old self and this new image that they forge with their patron goddess that they're working with. So I've seen it, especially with uh, uh, Hecate and Lilith cults. Hmm. Yeah, this is Vrolic or Vrolok or alternative pronunciations of old. Slavic meaning wolf and Dlaka meaning skin. That's interesting. In uh, Serbian yeah. mythology, the Vrakolak use charmed wolf skins for their transformation, hence the name. Okay. Here's something else. When, <laughs> back when she was like, I don't know, eleven, you know, she's she's just she'll be nineteen next next week. Um, so just about eight years ago, seven years ago, um, she made a, a, a YouTube video or one, a video that she wanted to have on YouTube. You know what I mean? Um, trying to turn herself into a werewolf. So that's kind of interesting, too. Uh, there was some kind of spell. She mixed some kind of concoction. Um, she was always into the, you know, the fringy stuff, uh, even before she lived with me. So, I, I mean, I can't take all the blame on that. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, this wolf. Okay. That makes that's That's weird. But it this also is... says here that an alternative meaning could be, um, so the werewolf description is, is Slavic, but the other one in Serbian, it's a different kind of definition that could mean vampire and all this new modern, you know, pop culture, the hip stuff with Lilith is all of this vampire mythology. She's the original vampire, you know, yeah. all this and that. So anybody that's really into like this vampire folklore and, and this vampire scene, I could see them picking that up and kind of running with it as a, Oh yeah. Lilith is more than just the, the, in uh, folklore, the first witch, she's the mother of demons, the mother of abomination. So all of this sort of stems back to her in the occult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yeah, the, idea the whole of, vampire thing too. Even the idea of shedding one's skin and like wolf pelt, you know, and identity <clears throat> yep. and transformation into something new, like that's all very thematically related. So, hmm. that's uh, wild. <laughs> <laughs> that, that red balloon that went bouncing behind Josh was it had just great timing up here. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Richie, uh, do you want to tell people about some of your experience, especially with the uh the tunnel dream? <clears throat> oh boy. I don't even know where to start. If that's where you want to start, that's fine. But the, I've had Or you start wherever you want to start, but that's gotta probably, make an appearance. Probably one of the roughest years I've I've had since uh my Christian swing at uh Paranormal Investigating. Like back in the day, I used to like uh, spiritual warfare was just part of the game. Like if you worked a case, you could almost expect to 
to experience things for weeks, months, years in effect after that. But this year in particular, like it was every time that I would try to focus in on the paranormal aspect of things, something major would happen in my life that I was always distracted. Something would always come up. It, it was always my friendships were in turmoil. There was just different things in my life were just being affected. And I recognize the pattern fits with the pattern word was talking about earlier with you build up to it and then boom, it falls apart, build up again. It's a cyclical pattern. And just, just the way that I was attacked, it's, it's something that I'm familiar with and the paranormal, you call it diabolical confusion and it's meant to throw you off the trail. So if you're, if you're closing in hot on, on the entity or what's the, the root of the haunting or anything like that, you'll usually experience diabolical confusion as a means to scare you away from the case. And so part of me, I recognized what it was, but at the same time, it was so overwhelming and just persistent in a way that I've not experienced before that it really just brought me to the point where, okay, I I don't even want to do this anymore. Like if this is how it's going to be, if it's not going to let up, if it's like this now, what, what's, what's to come? Like, what could it do in the future? But apart from all of that, it's, it was just all around just a rough year. Like, like I said, this distractions and they were intentional. Like I could tell it was spiritual warfare, but it was just everywhere. It's so much. I, can, I, I don't even know where to begin with it. Well, take us to your tunnel dream. All right. Now I want to first go back and uh, comment on Bo and his uh, seeing the spiders and the snakes. Now, in the early witch trials, those were some of the curses the witches were put on trial for was curses of creeping and crawling things. So the people would have mass hallucinations of being covered in spiders or snakes under their beds. So the the visions of the snakes and the spiders is directly tied to witchcraft. And Ward, seeing the uh, the with the uh, sort of precognitive dreams or the the shared vision dreams. I mean, it's classic demonic hauntings. I can't tell you how many cases I've worked where a, a targeted individual in the family would start having dreams or precognitive dreams, and then all of a sudden it's shared by the other members of the family. I've I've seen that a bunch. Like, that is absolutely common in demonic hauntings. So all of that stuff ties together. And going into dreams, the dream I had about the tunnel came sort of at the end of this persistence of wanting to know wanting to peel back the layers and see what this thing really was. Like you, we've been through Cocomthena, Lilith, like all these masks and we pull them back. And once we get to a place, we think we haven't figured out there's always something else. Like it always goes deeper. Well, I've spent half the night just thinking and praying about what this thing could be. And the dream that I had was just, it's bizarre. Like it, it was, it's, it was more real than any dream I've ever had in my life. Pretty much. And in the dream, we walk down the path. It's just me. And we're walking towards the mouth of that tunnel down there on, on 22. Somebody, and, you might, we might want to clue them into the tunnel because I don't think that they've seen that. That's a part of the Shadow Appalachia project. Uh, yep. It was one of the very first things that we shot in Logan County. There was an old train tunnel that, uh, you know, was out of commission. The mountain had fell in at the back end of the tunnel and you can look up and see kettle bottoms up there. It was wild, but, uh, out of commission train tunnel, uh, had some local history stuff to it. So we decided to check it out. So this, this tunnel makes an appearance in your dream. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the Dingus tunnel. I'm sorry. 
is it's the tunnel right there off 22. Okay. But uh, we'd already been talking about uh, the tunnel being this heart of the window area that we think is in the 22 area up there. That And we've, we're talking about uh, natural disasters being tied to elemental spirits and the spirits under the mountain and things like that. So it only made sense that we thought that, okay, this was ground zero for the phenomena. So I think that's that's why the dream kind of veered the way that it did. And But in the dream, yeah, I walk up to the face of this tunnel and I stop. I just physically can't move forward anymore. And I can't speak, but I can hear something coming down the tunnel. And as I'm looking down the tunnel, in the darkness, there's this form. It's shifting shapes and sounds. And the the closer it comes to me, the clearer I can see the the shapes. There was one that was this clown. First, it was a clown, and uh, the clown face, and then it shifted into a woman in a white dress, and then into this animal that kind of looked like a wolf. It might have been like uh, like the de- like what you would describe as a devil dog. Like it had red eyes and everything. And then at the end, it got to the edge of the darkness, right at the edge of the tunnel. And it leaned out just enough for me to see its face. And it was this snake, this giant serpent that had feathered, this, looked like feathered, hairy. feathered serpent. Yeah. Had feathers in its face and on its neck. And it also looked like it had this like mane of hair, collars all over its eyes and face. And it had teeth that an elongated snout that it wasn't serpent like. It was like some, like some strange animal carving you'd see in in another culture somewhere it was it was bizarre but it was the first time that i felt like that i've gotten a look at this thing and the only thing i could think about was the tales of the horned river serpent like on the snake there was something that looked like horns i couldn't tell if it was horns or tree branches or what it was but it had some sort of protrusions (laughs) coming out the top of the head but this thing leaned out and looked at me and it was like listening to like backwards voices if you or you scratched a record player or something and i could hear it whispering it said my name it said a few other things like it was just and then it went silent and then it was basically just in in so many words told me that it was just letting me know you know like this is what you're dealing with this this is who i am and it just had these piercing eyes and it's it's the strangest thing i've ever seen like to think about it now I've seen elements of it in cultures that I've researched since, but it's it's most the bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. And that in the dream, like I had this sense of okay, that this was like a show of force. It was like this thing, like I wanted to know what I was messing with, and this thing showed itself to me, and it was something ancient and beyond any of the masks or like the categories we had so far, like with Lilith or or Kokumthina. Like this was something even older than that. So it it was wild. It was bizarre. Richie, was this was this before or after we were up there? I can't remember. We've uh, been up there a couple times. I think this was this was in was, between times. Was it? But it was. Uh, was it before we were up at the Serpent Mount? Oh yeah, I feel like it was before we went up there. Oh, I thought it was after. No, it was before the, we went up there. The interesting thing I think about that dream and that I've thought about it ever since you had it is just the polymorphic nature of it, um, where it's uh, using forms that like 
are related to this geographical area, like Logan County Devil Dogs kind of thing. And then the woman in white, which is, you know, Justin has a whole lot of experience with that. But I mean, it, it even type. I mean, it's a, it's like an archetype, but uh, Dude, even, even with the clown, in- like Ward showed me that sent me this picture of the Camden Park sign. And yeah. the clown that's on the sign is the clown that I saw in that tunnel. And we researched the burial mound at Camden Park as part of this this that's grouping with this. Yeah, it's a it's a Dina Bound Builder uh, Hopewell, which is the same culture that was supposedly involved in the construction of the Serpent Mound in Logan County. So it's the same people. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about the woman in white though is it's also tied to Mamie Thurman, which is at twenty two, who was you know, died in a white gown and was brutally and murdered. And even the apparition her, that uh, Travis saw at the bridge. Yeah, right. Yeah. He talks about this. Uh, there's a legend of a water fay uh, down Holden, just down the road where there's this woman in white who hangs out on a bridge, which is a liminal space yep. between, between places. Just right? like and, the tunnel, you know, right. Just like the tunnel and, you know, on the Creek. Uh, so all of this stuff is like very, Interesting. And if you think about you it, connected? like how many times did we walk over water in the tunnel? Like there, there's the ground is washed away. If you fall in there, you're going to break your leg. Like there's running water through the tunnel. So it, it well, is because like you have a, a mountain. You had a mountain <laughs> that fell in, you know? It, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and you, you consider the, uh, the connection Paul Stobbs made with the, uh, with clowns and the the Nephilim. Uh, oh yeah. I remember listening to that one. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's another good clown connection. Do you guys remember uh, after that dream, we had looked at, I, Josh, I think you had looked at um, a display involving the civilization that was discovered uh, at Man, basically where the hospital was and torn down. And the, yeah. the image of the serpent that they worship. Can you talk about that real quick? That was yeah. after Richie's dream. That was after, okay. I can't remember timeline. It's kind of like, like all this stuff this over the, the years. Is this That's the Death, death Cult? cult. Yeah, yes. Southern Death Oh my Cult. gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So actually, yeah, you can find some of this stuff on display. And actually, we were just there last week uh, at the museum again because we went to watch the Christmas lights in the park. And uh, But yeah, anyway, there's a, a collection of artifacts in the uh, Chief Logan Museum. And they be- belong to a uh, local archaeologist named Ron Moxley. And uh, some of those um, items come from... Uh, a Native American site in Man, West Virginia, and the uh, the people that it belonged to was a group of kind of nomadic uh, traveling Native Americans called the Southern Death Cult. And uh, whenever you start to look at some of the uh, the artifacts in Logan and look into the uh, the history of the Southern death cult that's out there. One of the things that they used to have was like uh, serpent, serpent shamans and uh, priest figures that would wear uh, like, uh, I don't know, you want to call them vestments, I guess, but they would dress up as like uh, pre like serpent priests. And um, you know, some of those artifacts are there in, in Logan. So, you know um, yeah. So that's in this area, you know, yeah, and you look at the, a lot of the the symbolism that they used. The snake that they that's represented in a lot of their icons is very colorful around the eyes, like I saw in in the dream. And a lot of them have these main like structures around the head. So it's it's interesting that that shows up later on. But that's basically what I saw. Yeah. Um, uh, check 
check this out. Hang on, hang on. Uh, Bo, I want to show you. We had you talked about that, Bo, about the sudden death cult and the serpent imagery. No. Okay, here we go. I'm just gonna hold it up with my phone because you've disabled screen sharing. Uh, so this was after Richie described that that Josh found this image um, linked in, in the archaeology. This is on the Wikipedia for the Southern Death Cult. Um, so you can see that guy. You should be able to screen share if you need to after this. <laughs> okay, wow. that that is it. Even even this the wow. nose part of it where it doesn't look like a serpent. That that's exactly what it looked like. And they have the stuff down at Chief Logan Park. There, there's artifacts. Not all of it, but uh, a large majority of it. So I also have a book. Um, I'll have to show it to you. But it it is a book cataloging a lot of the Native American artifacts that was found there. Um, I'll send it to you. But uh, actually, I think you can pick it up at the CVS in Chapmanville, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I could send you a picture of it. You can go pick it up. But most of them that are named in that book appear in Ron Moxley's collection that is now at. Now, one of them that was missing that I was really bummed out about was um, there was some of the artifacts from downtown Logan found, which I think we're talked about in Dark Holler. Um, yeah. But the one that like the marine shell gorgets were were there that was talked about. Yeah. But the thing that was missing was the Birdman motif. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really bummed out about that because I wanted a picture of it and I wanted to be able to connect it. But but it wasn't there. And I would love to know where that that went. But yeah, yeah. but some of it's on display there and some of it's from the man site. And there's a little sun wheels in there as well. Yeah. Um, some really interesting things there. You know, I, I worked at Chief Logan Park for four years, but my mind wasn't on this kind of stuff at that time. You know, like, had I known, <laughs> you know. They, they also have a bunch of Bigfoot memorabilia now there, too. Yeah. Like hats um, and all that. As they should. I, I do. T- I try to take some credit for that. I was there when they were they were putting the uh, the little shop in there and another uh, me and another guy that worked there. We really pushed for them to do Bigfoot themed things at our our location, and it it kind of kicked off for a little while. Um, they've had they some also, on it. They also have a lot of New Agey crystal stuff there now yeah. too, as well. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. All right, uh, Justin, do you have anything that uh, connects in with all of this stuff? Uh, well, yeah, I do. I'll try to keep this as brief <laughs> as possible. Um. But I guess I mean this this whole thing really started. Well, we started the podcast. We talked to Ward really early on. I got interested in Dark Holler. Uh, I talked with you boys, you know, about well about a year ago, I guess now. Brought y'all on to start talking about Shadow Appalachia and putting it out there. And that episode got really crazy and weird, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> But no, just a couple of weeks before that, you know, just in researching and, and and talking about these same kind of things um, that you guys had going on, because I, I noticed really early on with just following you guys and your work and what you were doing, that a lot of the things w- that we were doing were running extremely parallel, like they were really coinciding together 
finally up to the point that I was just like, Hey, look guys, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. Like y'all need to be aware of all of this. So, I mean, here I am just a little lowly contributor to this, this entire project, but a couple of weeks before Josh and Richie came on AI and, and we had a really cool conversation. Um, I was chilling out in my inflatable hot tub and on the back patio. And again, I just now made this connection. I've told this story 10 times now, and I just made the connection that I was in a hot tub with running water. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sitting there. Hmm. Yeah, I got you. And I lay back and I, and I close my eyes. I'm just relaxing. It's been a, a, a long, hard week. And I open my eyes and, and I look because I, you just, you know, when you get that sense that something's watching you, something or somebody is what you got, you've got eyes on you. So I feel this. I open my eyes and I look looking directly across from me. The side of my outbuilding is this. This woman in white, she's got long black hair that's kind of covering her face. Um, she's wearing this almost tattered kind of shift. It's not really a dress, but it's like a shift. And she, I don't see her eyes, but I can tell we're locking eyes. And there was like three or four seconds of, holy crap, I'm really seeing this. Like I'm, I'm, I didn't. I didn't go to sleep here. This is legit. Um, and then that sense of panic hits you. You're like, oh, I'm out here extremely vulnerable in my skivvies, in the hot tub, in the dark. I got to get inside. So I jump out. I'm drying off as quick as I can. I'm closing and I'm telling myself, don't look back over. Don't look back over. Don't look back over. I'm making my way into the house in the back door. And I just couldn't help myself. I looked back over there. and She was gone. But there was an owl perched on the other building right beside of it. And it was dead locked on. So that was really weird. Um, after that, you know, of course, that's that encounter, that experience. Um, you know, I was talking to to my co-host Ryan and Lance about a lot of it. And then we just started being bombarded with owls. I mean, two, three, four times a week, each of us. We're seeing owls everywhere we went. They were at our homes. They were everywhere. Um, so the owl symbology was was there really, really heavy for a long time. So much to the so much so that I told them and I was like, look, guys, we gotta take a step back from the research that we're putting in here. We're gonna have to take a break, take a step back, because this is just getting there were so many just small little bitty synchronicities going on at that same time that there's no way in the world I would be able to, that would be a six hour podcast. Um, but going on and, and kind of like Bo was talking about earlier, there's the balloon on cue. Um, I was going, I was driving to 40 and airway <laughs> podcast conference that Bo was up there for. And as I was driving by the turnoff, to hell your this is weird i'm driving by the turnoff getting to ohio where this conference is at and i look over there and the sign there it says like look out six miles hell your eight miles which i always think is really funny because it just says look out hell your <laughs> so i'm driving 
I'm driving by there. I get it probably two or three miles down the road, go onto the four lane. And there's this blue star balloon, this mylar balloon, just bouncing along the side of the road. And I was like, okay, all right, I got you. I'll see you. <laughs> but no, I mean, you got little weird things like that, but you know, um, balloons and clowns, balloons, clowns, and owls. Um, but over the last year or so, you know, obviously if, if doing a podcast, like I do, like Bo does having these conversations, you know, we say all the time, if you gaze into the abyss long enough, eventually the abyss is going to gaze back. I mean, they're, they're going to look back at you. When you start finding out about them, they're going to find out more about you. I mean, it's just the way that it's going to work. Yeah. When you begin to notice them, notice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But over the course of the last year, you know, um, God's called me a little uh, further into ministry. Uh, and that has its own, you know, pushback and, and spiritual warfare going on with that. And with that, along with, you know, kind of joining up and, and coming to arms with you guys in this project, man, stuff just got really weird. <laughs> I'm talking crazy weird. You know, I have a whole experience of, of when my son was a newborn, when he was first born, um, this shadow person, this, this chat, this black mass. You know, I seen him uh, when my son was, and it's a whole big long story. We've done a trilogy on it, but I actually saw him for the first time in 17 years. I know for a fact, like it was it, like, like that was, that was him. And I felt it more than I recognized it, if that makes any sense at all. But again, it's kind of like Ward was talking about, is that that boundary? You know, it was right there at the tree line, right at the edge of the yard. I seen him twice there. And it's almost to the point like I feel, okay, you can't you can't come any further. If you could, you would. So that, I mean, it makes me – it gives me this sense of, prote- of protection of like, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do to protect myself spiritually and, and all of these things. Um, but I guess w- one of the real weirdest things is, you know, I mean, all that stuff is really weird as far as just experiences – but the weirdest thing is how our trajectory, you know, me and, and, and this podcast that I do our, and the research and the things that we've kind of fell into, how much it's coincided with the things that you guys, because in August, we find these cliff rock carvings up above our hometown. Right. Like a month, month and a half later, you guys are stumbling onto this, you know, rediscovering the serpent mound in your area. So it's like, okay, we're we're both stumbling upon these ancient whatever it is. Well, with that, it kind of leads us along this path of this lost swift silver mine and looking into it and and you know, going into the legend and the folklore and all this and that. And to keep this extremely vague, we had someone reach out to us and give us GPS coordinates. We won't get into the whole thing, but give us GPS coordinates and said, um, you need to begin your journey here. And I let it sit for like four or five days. I was like, that's, I looked up the coordinates. 
this is nowhere close to where we think that some of these caches are, or especially that this lost mine is. So I let it sit for four or five days. Well, finally, I pulled it up, pointed the location on, on Google Earth, Google Maps, all this different stuff. It's Omar, West Virginia. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. So I messaged Bo right off the bat. And I was like, dude, what do you know about Omar? He said, well, I got baptized there uh, for one. <laughs> but, you know, he starts telling me all of these different things about Omar. And I said, and as I was sending this message, I was like, there's, there's no way. I said, look, man, I don't mean to pry. And I'm not, I wasn't even really a part of this whole thing, you know, this Shadow Appalachia project yet. Um. I messaged Bo and I was like, I don't mean to pry. I'm not trying to dig for any information. I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, jump in there and steal your guys' discovery or, or anything like that. But is this anywhere close? I sent him the coordinates. I said, is this anywhere close to the serpent mound that you guys went and checked out? Well, we looked at it. We pulled it up, and what did we figure, Bo? Like the way the crow flies, like three miles apart, something like that. If that, I think it was it's a couple. It's a couple ridges over. I mean, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it's it's near Travis's house, and Travis lives basically in Omar, so it's right there. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, just little bitty things, you know. This whole time, it's like, you know, obviously what we are doing with this, it's faith driven. It's in a way that. We want to bring light and to shed light on the darkness. And we want to expose the darkness here in central Appalachia for what it is. Amen. And to, to let people know and to realize that, you know, this is what's going on. These stories are real. These entities are real. And this is what they can do. But thank God, by his grace and his conquering triumph in victory, He's got his foot on the necks of all of them. And we just want to be obedient vessels, soldiers in an army. But man, it's so like to me, that that's what that's what's driving this. But at times I've had to take that step back and think, okay, is, is this information of God? Or is this something else that's trying to piece all of this together to get us all in this, you know, 22 mine tunnel where Richie's serpent dragon's going to eat us? Let's hope that's not the case. <laughs> but there has been times. I mean, there's yeah. times that I've had to step back and, and, and really dive into the word and into prayer. And, and, you know, in my meditative time of discernment, to think and to realize and really ponder like, okay, if, if God, if you're leading this, I'm in all in. And I feel like my spirit will let that know that that's, that's extremely clear. And that's where I feel like I'm at with this whole thing. So there's been a whole lot of weird, I'm going to cut it off there because that's some of the highlights of all of it. Um, but man, it's been a, it's been a journey and, and y'all talked about setbacks and all of these different things and how, you know, it gets going and it's rolling. And I mean, you have, we have, you know, this is planned and geared up and we're ready to go. And then boom, all of a sudden 
it comes crashing down. Well, along that same time, here's one more I'll just throw in really quickly. Along that same time, and, and you guys know full well what I'm talking about here, Planet Weird's documentary, The Unbinding, came out. We all watched it. We all jumped in the chat and reviewed it. I couldn't make it to the recording session that you guys had when you when you sat down and reviewed it and put it out there and all this different stuff. But while that was going on, I watched it, and I was telling my son about it. And in the, the midst of telling him about it, I was like, man, you know what? Let's turn on a good documentary. Let's turn on Dark Holler. You need to watch that. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to you boys. So we start watching Dark Holler, and I'm messaging you guys, and you know, I'm giving my thoughts on the unbinding, and I literally make the statement to Connor. Look, I'm just telling you flat out, man. These old gods can get bent. That's what I told him. So he comes upstairs where he spends 95% of his time. He's gaming. He's on his PC, you know, doing whatever. It was just me and him at home. All the ladies of the house were out doing whatever it is they do. I don't know. There's too many people here to keep track of all the time. So they're out. I'm downstairs in the recliner. I'm watching Dark Holler, and my nine-year-old daughter, she's, you know, she's in music class now, and she gets this recorder. Y'all know those plastic toy little flute-looking recorders that they all get, and they drive you crazy with for a couple months until it gets old, and they just, you know, toss it somewhere in their room. So I'm sitting there, and I hear this recorder. And I hear three notes played on this recorder. And I was like, what in the world? Surely to goodness, Connor's not playing this recorder. So I come upstairs. And as I'm coming up the stairs, I hear something again, really faint. But I couldn't, I couldn't process what it was. So I walk into Connor's room. And I was like, dude, were you playing, were you playing Rachel's recorder? He said, um, no, no, but I heard you whistling. I said, what do you mean you heard me whistling? He said, I heard you whistling as you were coming up the stairs. I said, dude, I wasn't whistling. What, what? I said, what did you hear? And he said, I heard you go. I was like, man, that's the same notes that I heard on the recorder. The same exact notes that I heard. So I was like, well, you know, that's just another weird thing. I walked through the house, started praying. <laughs> I was like, I know I said what I said, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not taking it back. I'm not saying sorry, but I'm just going to get armored up here. But then I sat back down and it clicked. I was really, really railing in conversation with Connor on a certain production company and people involved in a documentary. And then in Hellier, when they're in the cave, the tones that they hear and that they keep playing over and over and over, it's the same exact tones. It's the same notes, the same notes that I heard on the recorder the same notes that my son heard me whistle when I didn't whistle it. And it was two separate times. 
Like when I heard the recorder notes, it was a few seconds later when he heard the whistle notes. So that was around the same time that Ward was having the dreams that Bo had something going on. I don't remember what was going on when Richie was going through it. Like it's like everything hit in one massive tsunami tidal wave and was just crushing all of us. So I don't know. That's that's what I got. That's the weirdness. Um, but yeah, owls, balloons, it's all there for all of us. So <laughs> and I think the, the how you were brought into the mix, it's pretty indicative of how everybody here was brought into the mix. I mean, it started with with Dark Holler and how me, Josh, and Ward sort of found each other together there in that situation. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. I think everybody here has been brought into this thing by synchronicity or something like that or another. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. I'm, uh, I'll do what I can to help out. And again, just a lowly, lowly contributor on the totem pole. Just tickled <laughs> to be here, guys. I'm just so tickled to be here with all of <laughs> just you. Just tickled to be here. Um, what? Sorry, I know we're probably wrapping this up. It's been a minute, but uh, I was going down through. And Bo, when we get off here, I got to tell you something that I can't talk about publicly yet. And I can tell you all you guys, but we can't record it. Um, but the. Uh, I was just looking through the southern southern death cult is one name of it and they also call it secc this uh you're talking about Some josh you were looking for a birdman yeah. yeah you were looking for a birdman motif found uh so there actually is uh literally it's they just call it birdman um this strikes me as some like sword and staff uh red meat for the the myth fans in the room but um I, do you want me to read this? It'll take a couple minutes. Whatever there's you want to do. Birdman, man. there's all right, all right, all right. So go for stop it. Stop me if this goes too long. So the Falcon or the Birdman is one of the most conspicuous symbols of the SECC. It was simultaneously an avatar of warriors and an object of supplication for a lengthy life, healthy family, and a long line of descendants. Its supernatural origin is placed in the upper world, right? They had the same tripartite cosmological distinction that we do. Um, but the origin is placed in the upper world with a pantheon, including the sun, moon, and four stars. He's most often represented on precious materials, sometimes shell, most often on beaten copper. He dances costumed with great ground sweeping wings and a raptor beaked mask In his raised right hand. He holds a club prepared to strike in his left. He holds rattles fashioned from human skulls, uh, at Cahokia. The falcon imagery was elaborated in figural expression. It is associated with warfare, high-stakes gaming, and possibly family dynastic ambitions symbolized by arrow flight and the rising of the pre-dawn morning star as metaphors for the succession of descendants into the future. Raptor imagery gained prominence during the Hope Bowl period, but attained its peak in the Braden style of the early Mississippian period. It survived afterward in the Red Horn mythological cycle and native religion of Ho-Chunk, Osage, Iowa, and other Plains Siouan peoples. In the Braden style, the Birdman is divided into four categories. Um, okay, so there's a bunch of stuff there, right? Raptor imagery, um, the, <laughs> the sun, moon, and four stars. I mean, it, I could go into all that, but the next uh, 
the next thing down is this red horn mythic cycle so red horn um it's like a cultural hero the mythic cycle of red horn and his sons has certain analogies with the hero twins mythic cycle of mesoamerica red horn was known by many names including morning star a reference to his celestial origin and he who was struck with deer lungs a possible reference to the bilobed arrow motif in the episode associated with his name red horn turns into an arrow to oh it with this name red horn turns into an arrow to win a race after winning the race red horn creates heads on his earlobes and makes his hair into a long red braid thus he becomes known as red horn and he who has human heads as earlobes all right in another episode red horn and his friends are challenged by the giants to play ball with their lives staked on the outcome the best giant player was a woman with long red hair identical to red horns the little heads on Redhorn's ears caused her to laugh so much that it interfered with her game and the Giants lost. The Giants lost all the other contests as well. Then they challenged Redhorn and his friends to a wrestling match in which they threw all but Redhorn's friend Turtle. Since Redhorn and his fellow spirits lost two of the three, they were all slain. Two wives of Redhorn were pregnant at the time of his death. The sons born to each have red hair, with the older one having heads where his earlobe should be and the younger one having heads in place of his nipples. The older brother discovers where the giants keep the heads of Redhorn and his friends. The two boys use their powers to steal the heads from the giants, whom they wipe out almost completely. The boys bring back to life Redhorn, Storms as he walks, and Turtle. In honor of this feat, Turtle and Storms as he walks promise the boys special weapons. Uh, yeah, mini SECC, that's the, the cult, images seem to be of Redhorn, his companions, and his sons. The characters in the myth seem to be tied integrally to the pipe ceremony and its association with kinship and adoption. Um, other images found in the SECC art show figures with long-nosed god maskets on their ears and, and in place of their nipples. And there's a bunch of images here of, um, I mean, it, there's two snakes intertwined. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that, that image before. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there, it's just, there's. Why does it, all of that sound like that, uh, that mythic poem that I found about the, the man of renown that comes upon the scene of the Thunderbird and the, the river serpent in battle. And they each whisper to the man to try to, to kill the other. And it, he ends up just firing blindly and it hits the Thunderbird and the serpent drags it into a mountain. And that's where it's dinned up and, and it's, it's, it's layer is today. Like that, that, it reminds me of that so much. As you were, as you were going along there. Hey, you want to? Have, have you guys ever watched the Aracoma story, the play that they have at Chief Logan Park? I was literally like just when, having a no. conversation with somebody about it. I've, I've still not watched it. Okay, I've never seen it. Well, I, I was in it as a child, like in in the late eighties, right? <laughs> uh, they had a scene. And I don't know if they if they've taken it out of the of the more modern production or whatever, but they had a scene. Now this is supposed to be Shawnee, right? But there was a scene where there was a medicine man they called him, and he would dress like a giant bird man and do this big dance, this big production, uh, trying to summon whatever uh, or trying to do like some kind of protection or whatever it was. Um, this big dance in the middle of the play, and I I can see it in my mind, like I like I just watched it or something. But um, for that Birdman imagery to be put into a play about the Shawnee, 
now, I think, is weird. And if you go into downtown Logan, you guys probably know where I'm talking about, like um, across from the DMV, um, there is a that the guy that was it me me shop. Yeah, there is a a giant bird image on the window and uh i I don't know what that's about either but that's just like something that's that's popped up and it's in we saw that the last time we walked around town i think we have video and pictures of that yeah yeah so this bird man like he's he's everywhere man and forever i'm just thinking back to that poem that i made ai generate like an hour before we got on here and without any without any prompts this direction it mentioned mothman and thunderbird i thought you made that <laughs> no that's totally ai generated not <laughs> oh, appalachian wait. intelligence generated artificial <laughs> intelligence generated wait justin what what was what what was the prompt um you didn't tell it anything about that no what Hold on, let me pull up the prompt. Also, while I'm pulling it up, I want to know why Christopher Nolan has never made a movie based on what Ward read. That would be the sickest movie (laughs) in history. And it seems like everywhere you go in this area, there's this dynamic of whether it be the Mothman. I mean, they even called Mothman Birdman before they gave him that moniker. It's this clash of these two sort of titan elemental spirits in this region, the Thunderbird and the River Serpent. I mean, you can go here in Lincoln. Well, I'm in Boone right now, but you can go back home to Lincoln County to Salt Rock and see a, a, a petroglyph on a rock. That's these natives with spears, like spearing this horned river serpent in the river there. So this this iconography is everywhere. Even Even in mythic poetry, you see the the man of renown, like witnessing their battle and then being the uh, bird man being drugged into the, the Thunderbird being drugged into the mountain by the serpent. Like there's just so many ties, tie-ins with this case symbolically with this. It's, it's wild. Okay. So here was the prompt. And I told you guys, I'm trying to be really, really nice to AI. So it don't make me, you know, it don't murder me one day. I'm just maybe a slave or something. Like I, he just wants to be the pool boy. Wave the fan and give it berries <laughs> that it can't actually eat. Okay. Would you please write a poem to use as an introduction to a documentary called Shadow Appalachia? The documentary is about a team of Christian men investigating the high strangeness in central Appalachia. The poem should include these men battling old gods and principalities in spiritual warfare while shining light on the darkness. That was the prompt. So Central Appalachia, I threw in there, and that may have been enough. Mm. Yeah, high strangeness is probably enough for it to. Yeah, that was probably enough. Okay, Okay, so I forgot the I've made the prompt kind of specific. All right, well, we'll we'll throw that out then. (laughs) You never know what we're doing here. You never know. (laughs) But it's still weird that, I mean, it was Mothman and the Thunderbird. Yeah, it still ties into the poem, still ties into the symbolism. Yeah, it could have threw in like a thousand different cryptids or whatever. Yeah, yeah, more prevalent in the myths is the water panther, but why didn't it throw that in there? I mean, yeah. still. Yeah. Strange. So, uh, you guys see that? 
but I'm sharing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, one more like mythic thing here, piece of, mm-hmm. of mythic candy for but the, uh, so the, the great serpent or horned serpent is the most well-known mythological feature figure from the SECC. And its roots go back to Hopewell times, if not earlier, usually described as horned and winged, though the wings are more an indicator of its celestial origin than an essential form of the creature. In some versions of the Shawnee myths, the serpent is described as a multi-headed monster with one green and one red horn, horns being a manifestation or marker of its power. In other myths, it's described as a one-eyed buffalo with one green and one red horn. The Piazza I remember figure, telling you all that the, the colors on the face were green and red and blue. So that's, that's, oh, that's what odd. did you say the colors <laughs> of those snakes were? Uh, mine were orange and black. Yeah. Um, pretty close to red and blue. Yeah. Right. A lot of the early cultures don't have uh, a word for blue. It's just it's variations of black. Um, and the same with, you know, red and orange are related. Um, I think that's interesting. They, they relate. Now is interesting too. Cause my, my head, I felt like mm-hmm. I said, I could only describe it like a Fox, you know, like that, that long mouth, you know? Oh, snap. Yeah. Right. And look how they're depicted too. Yeah. I mean, the, the, just like that the yeah. is not reptilian. Yeah. Like that's a very. That almost canine sort of thing. And it's interesting also that at least like here in the, the Wikipedia article, the, the exact the next thing after describing the Piazza figure is um it mentions the water panther. <laughs> right. Yep. The Jiba underwater panther was a combination of rattlesnake, cougar, deer, and hawk. Other native peoples also give descriptions of the being sometimes now referred to as spirit otter. The majority seem to belong to one of two extremes and multitude in between. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Pretty wild. Hmm. This is this is a lot to take in. Like, there's (laughs) yeah, there's a lot of a lot of disparate and coherent imagery surrounding the same stuff um, experienced in wildly disconnected ways i mean apparently disconnected ways see justin the way you were talking about being having the hesitations about this thing like is this thing going to lure me into the mountain you know and swallow me alive like i remember telling josh is like when we were exploring the all the natural disasters around the area there and talking about how elemental spirits throughout history were blamed for natural disasters being embodied by the elements that was my fear as well as like, is this thing trying to lure me into the mountain and bring the mountain down on top of my head? Like that's, we blame elemental spirits around here a lot for the coal mining disasters. So it's, it's, it's wild. Like for me, I have no hesitations when it comes to the paranormal. Like if this thing was like, Hey, I'm going to be in the mountain. I'm going to manifest myself there. Like I'm there. So that's, I had those thoughts too. Like, is this, is this thing setting a trap for me? Cause it knows that just say when, and I'll be there. So it's, yeah. it's wild. Oh, Bo. <laughs> Hang on. Look at this one. <laughs> Sorry, this probably isn't great for the audio, but. <laughs> oh, wow. What? Okay. Right now, I'm going to have to send you all a picture. 
from Point Pleasant. Do you remember the hands with the eyes in them on the doors of the bunkers at TNT area? The evil eye. Well, Dude, there's a there's a practicing cult in Point Pleasant, and you'll see them all over the 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 bunkers of the TNT area. It's a hand just like that with an eye in the middle of it. And it's white, and it's all over the doors of the TNT area bunkers, especially in that one row that we visited there. But that that symbolism's there. Well, was that a symbol that. of the Southern Death Cult though? The hands with the eyes, because I'm. It's just now hitting me that I had a conversation with a guy about this one time. And he was talking about cave entrances around his area where he lived in southern Indiana. And around these cave entrances, there was all these markings and symbols of hands with the eye in between. And he even went on to explain about how, like, you know, later secret societies just picked up that symbology because it meant so much to this southern death cult. Yeah. It, it says here in the article, the, yeah. hand, the hand and eye motif is a human hand with an eye gazing out of the palm, yet another symbol of deity. It was one of the most common motifs in the Mississippian symbolism and may be related to the OG motif, suggesting it represents a portal to the other world. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, too, that that hand and eye symbology is found in Point Pleasant, where you have the the whirlpools there where the two rivers mm. meet. Where the water panther is, it was said yep. to be caused by the water panther's tail, and it was a portal to the underworld. Mm. Wow. This this is wild. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to do this like um, pretty regularly. Yeah, a lot of connections are just being made here for the first time, and it's a lot of processing yeah. going on. <laughs> like everybody's well, just trying all... to take this in. <laughs> yeah. We can all can y'all hear me now? We all... yeah. yeah, yeah, we got um, you. Buddy. My microphone He's went back. out like 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 twenty minutes ago, and I've been fighting it. So, oh no, I got a couple of things I want to chime in about. <laughs> well, we all... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. I mean, Richie was talking about that he always had this fear. That like, uh, you know, serpent thing, serpent being kind of bringing down the mountain. And that's exactly the thoughts you should have, because all of these things, whether they're the water panther or they're the feathered serpent deity or Tiamat or uh, I think in Egypt, it's is it Newt? No, Newt's the sky god. Um, I can't remember the one in Egypt. They're all symbols for chaos and time uh and the beings from above are all symbols of order and space like that's what they all are i mean this same myth where you have two powers battling each other is a universal it's a universal myth i mean in babylon it's marduk and tiamat um i mean even in the bible it's yahweh and leviathan i mean i literally just preached on this from psalm 74 uh, this past weekend, um, you know, in Native American lore, it's Thunderbird and Water Panther or Thunderbird and Feathered Wing Serpent. Uh, it's those things that you're saying, like chaos, disorder, disaster. Those are the things you should think about whenever you think about these symbols. And that's certainly why they associated these beings with the river. Right, like you, like just down the road from your house, uh, you've got the uh, the salt rock petroglyphs, and it's in a river, and it's a 
feathered wing, a horned river serpent getting speared by Native Americans, and it's in the river. They associate it with the river because that's think about what it would be like to be a people who live on its riverbanks whenever it floods. It brings disaster, chaos. So these connotations are exactly what you should think about whenever you're dealing with these kind of things, because that's ultimately what they what they do. And in some ways, they're all tweaks and twists on the, the true story, which is Yahweh crushing the heads of Leviathan. Um, so, yeah. And I didn't even think about this until now, but this whole dynamic of this battle of duality between like earth and sky, good and evil, light and dark. Uh, there's water, you know, things like that. Even on that salt rock petroglyph, a lot of people don't really talk about the other side of it, but on top of it, there's this carving of this knowledge giver. They, yeah. The, yeah they call him the shaman. But anybody you ask, even the, the people that document it, they call him the spaceman. Mm-hmm. So you have this figure from above and this serpent below. So, I mean, it's still, it's in the rock carvings as well. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yep. I had a lot of other things I was going to chime in with, but I can't remember now since I had to battle my <laughs> mic. Wait, uh, one last piece of uh, uh, S- uh, Southern Death Cult cosmology um, that I just saw scrolling through this thing looking for more images. It says most SEC imagery focuses on cosmology and the supernatural beings to inhabit the cosmos. Cosmological map encompassed real knowable locations, whether in this world or the supernatural reality of the other. Their iconography portrayed the cosmos in three levels. The above world or overworld was the home of the thunderers, the sun, moon, and morning star or red horn, and represented order and stability. The middle world was the earth yes. that the humans lived in. The, the beneath yes. world or underworld there was it a is. cold, dark place of chaos that was home to the underwater panther and corn no, mother or up. old woman who never dies. Nope. Wait. These three worlds were connected by an axis mundi, usually portrayed as a cedar tree or a striped pole it's a world reaching tree, from the underworld man. to the overworld. It's the world tree. It's Yggdrasil that of... connects the realms with Asgard, Midgard, and, you got and Hell. This, and you got this middle world that's this liminal space where all this all this clashing is going on. I can't. It's the, it's the tree of life, which connects the heavens above and the earth mm-hmm. beneath. And go, its roots go down to the waters beneath the earth. Because if you read in Jonah, yep. whenever he goes down into Hades, the roots are down there too. The roots of the mountains, you know, yep. it's the same, same yep. thing. Yep. Which is Jacob's ladder, which is the tree of life, which is the cross. Christ yep. truly unites heaven and yep. earth. Yeah. It's all connected folks. <laughs> it is. Well, uh, well, you know, to maybe, uh, well, it's Christmas time, and we've been talking about magic, and we've been talking about death cults, and we've been talking about idols and old gods and new projects and Such all of a that. good time. Um, so to kind of close this sucker out, I wanted to read a, a quote from uh, St. Athanasius on the Incarnation, which is a, a Christmas classic, if you guys didn't know. Uh, but I actually read this quote in my sermon from this past Sunday on Psalm 74. But uh, I think this is appropriate given the season and the the topics that we've discussed here today. Um, You know, a lot of people might be tempted to listen to this and get like fearful, right? Like hearing stories about old gods and kind of how they're still 
kind of hanging on and around and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that there are people out there who invoke those old gods and they try to tap into the power that they offer to bend nature to their will, um, whether that's cursing people or whatever it may be, right? There are people out there who try to tap into the, the power of these, these gods. And so here's what I want to remind you of, though. St. Athanasius says this. He basically says the same thing that we've been saying for years now. Um, if you're a listener to Sword and Staff, he says, What mere man or magician or tyrant or king was ever by himself able to do so much? Did anyone ever fight against the whole system of idol worship and the whole host of demons and all magic and all the wisdom of the Greeks at a time when all of these things were strong and flourishing and taking, taking everyone in as they did? Our Lord, the very word of God, did this. Yet, Yet he is even now invisibly exposing every man's error and single-handedly carrying off all men from them, all so that those who used to worship idols now tread them underfoot. Reputed magicians burn their books, and the wise prefer all the study of the interpretation of the Gospels. They are deserting those whom they formerly worshipped. They worship and confess as Christ and God, him whom they used to ridicule as crucified. They're so-called gods. They're puny gods, in other words, are routed simply by the sign of the cross. And the crucified Savior is proclaimed in all the world as God and Son of God. Amen and Merry Christmas, folks. <laughs> Amen. 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 <laughs> so, well, boys, as we wrap up here, do you guys have anything you want to say? Uh, Richie, maybe tell people what we've talked about. Um, Kind of where we've been, like where Shadow Appalachia started, the majority of the episode was where we've kind of been here in, in the in-between, in this liminal space. Um, where's where's things going? Well, uh, we start back filming for Shadow Appalachia in March, the around the middle of the month. Uh, looking like things are going to be shifting towards Point Pleasant. And if you listen to this episode, you can kind of see why with the symbolism and things. Uh, we have things planned through May, so the first half of the month should be uh, Shadow Appalachia is still going to be the full main project with six to six to eight episodes. But in the meantime, we're going to be doing a mini series that branches off of Shadow Appalachia that highlights these individual threads, these individual cases, investigations that build the overarching narrative as we go. Okay. Anybody else? So that's coming. Add to that? May, March, March. Yeah. Hey, don't commit me to having stuff out in March. Do my best. <laughs> <laughs> eh, I mean, that's what he does. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm excited about it. I. I think this is what we're supposed to be doing. Let's say that. Okay. Agreed. Well, well boys, yeah, as you know. we, as we close down. Uh, each of you guys take a moment to tell people where they can find you and the work you're doing since we've got a, a panel here with us today. So, uh, uh, you can find, sorry, Ward, you got a little you go, hesitation you go. there. It got awkward. So I just <laughs> jumped in. That's what I do. Um, you can check, uh, you can check out the podcast, Appalachian intelligence, anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, all social medias, you go into the old Google machine, type in Appalachian intelligence and you can find us wherever. Um, 
do a lot of we talk about a lot a lot about the same things that we're talking here tonight um we're a little more divided and split in some of our worldviews and thinkings with the hosts on the show uh me and my co-host lance we look at things from an extremely biblical worldview and and faith driven and our other co-host ryan um is shooting for purgatory at best as he says <laughs> Uh, so it brings it brings a little different spin to the show and to some of these conversations. And um, if nothing else, he's always great for quips and one-liners that'll leave you pretty uh, pretty tickled is the word for the night. So you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. The conversation we had with you guys, uh, some of my favorite parts oh, of that were with, with Ryan. They were he is such a funny guy. Oh, well, also. I'm also, let him know that the Pope has issued special indulgences as a get out of purgatory <laughs> free card if you kiss the manger scene this season. So, I mean, yeah. there's always that. No, he's mad at the Pope right now. He's mad at the Pope ever <laughs> since that big Cirque du Soleil um, drag show that happened right now. Oh, around gosh. His, yeah. 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 He's mad at the Pope, too. So, I mean, he, he <laughs> usually shifts toward our way of thinking. He just takes a way different route to get there. He so, was on a way different route the night that we all talked. <laughs> well, I'm oh, yeah. not going to get into um, exactly <laughs> what uh, he may have ingested beforehand. Oh, Lord. Bless his oh. It was um, it was supposed to be about Shadow Appalachia, and it, he was it in Shadow ended Appalachia. Up just being what? <laughs> yeah, he was, was in Shadow Appalachia. He was, was in the unknown right there. He was. It in was the whatever world. hit his brain, and then by the end of it. I'm pretty sure Josh just about brought him completely to Christ, like right then. <laughs> I mean, it was getting really close. It was. He was fond. Josh was face. being extremely pastor, like pastorly. He was so patient and like, and I was getting like, oh, come on, Ryan, let's. let's you know. <laughs> anyway, it's a, uh, it's it's a unique and interesting episode. I'll say that, no doubt. All right, Ward. Uh. Yeah, uh, studios.com is a new website we just launched. Um, we have newly launched, yeah, you can find stuff there, uh, at Dark Holler Studios on Instagram, and then at Dark Holler Film was the for the series. Okay, very nice. Oh, both all right. Um, yep, the bump podcast, any podcast platform, uh, Social media, The Bump Podcast, YouTube, The Bump Podcast. Pretty easy to find and go in Google, and it should be uh, should be right there for you. Okay. Richard? Well, for me, uh, probably won't find me very many places. Usually when I get involved in paranormal investigating, I kind of detach and go into my own little space to process things. But my social media, uh, definitely Instagram and the Discord. Gotcha. Well, if you want to keep up with me, most of the stuff that I'm doing these these days is uh, writing. Uh, so I've got a Substack, just joshrobinson.substack.com. And uh, for those who are into the weirdness uh, that we're talking about here, I just released a book called Reenchanting the Unseen. I actually gave all of you guys a shout out in the uh, the the, ti- the title page. Um, yeah, you guys are all in there by name. Um because you guys uh, helped shape me in in writing that book, and so uh, you boys appear in publications. So if you didn't know that, now you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you want to keep up with me, you can keep up with me there, and obviously here.
So. All right. Well, hey, that does it. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I can't, I think we went almost two hours, I think. Um, could be wrong, but pretty close to it, if not on the dot. So uh, now hang on, hang on just a second. We all gave this elaborate big speech at the end while Cole Shannon sat silent and just watched. I'm going to ask him to unmute. He's going to have to unmute. Cole Shannon, where can they find you? Uh, I have a Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I have a Facebook page. (laughs) That works. It's something, buddy. Find him on Facebook, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) That's right. I love Cole Shannon. I do too. You guys have anything else? Okay. Nah, I do. I want. I want to hear what Ward has to say when we get off here. Like this big thing that he can't say on the recording. Well, let's go ahead and head off so we can get to there. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, this most recent edition of The Sword and Staff. We hope that you guys enjoyed it. I want to thank all of our um, guest co-hosts for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.